Amen. Amen. Lord, we do. We thank you and praise you for your love, for your grace. And, and Lord, we know that without you, we'd have no life. You hold our every breath in your hand. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, we thank you that no one's here by chance this morning. You've brought us all together by divine appointment. Lord, you want to do a work in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Is this working? All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John. And uh, hey, if you're new here, I hope you feel welcome. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. You show up, you're a part of the family. Amen? I don't know if that, that encourages you or scares you. I'm not sure which, but I hope you do feel welcome. Uh, again, if you're new, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. Wednesday nights, we're in Genesis. We'll be in chapter 34 this Wednesday. Last Sunday, or two weeks ago actually, we finished up Second Peter. So this morning, we're going to begin to look at First John. And for years, whenever I would start a new book, I would do an overview of the entire book, and I'm going to do that this morning. We're going to do an overview of the entire book, all five chapters. I'm going to give you an overview of it, give you the context of why it was written, who it was written to, some things we can look forward to in the coming weeks, but also just to give us an understanding of the significance of what I know for a lot of people is their favorite letter in the Bible. 1 John is so powerful. There's so much that we can learn and take away from it. So let's begin, and I'm going to have an outline up there in a moment, but uh, John who wrote 1 John is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. And we'll talk more about him in a moment, but he is the apostle who was called you know, the beloved, or he would refer to himself as the one that Jesus loves. And he writes this letter, and you're going to see as we go through it, and we're going to read the entire book this morning, so be ready. At the end, I'm going to read all five chapters. I timed it last night, took 15 minutes, okay? So it's good. You know, I read through it over and over and over, and it just was blessing me, and I thought, boy, we ought to just do that tomorrow, so we're going to. But let me just say this, that he writes, and we're going to hear him talk about his little children, hear him talk about... You know, those who are, again, in the faith, those who he had ministered to, no doubt some he had led to the Lord. And what has happened is that we are now some 50 to 60 years after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And now there's persecution on the church, as we saw in Second Peter. But now we see very specifically in this book that false teachers are coming in, and we're going to see exactly what they're teaching. And it just breaks the heart of John as he gets word back that those early Christians, the lies that are being taught in the name of Christianity, the things that are being you know, said in the name of the Lord, things that are being denied about Jesus Christ. And so he's writing this letter as a word of exhortation and encouragement, but to set the record straight, to make sure that they remember the truth. So it's written at a time when the apostolic doctrine was being challenged by the you know, proliferation of false teachers. And most specifically, there was a heresy called, and I'm not going to go too in-depth, but they were called the Gnostics. Now the word Gnostic, just, it's from the word gnosko, that means knowledge. And these were those who thought they had a special word from God. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? 
They thought they had a special word from God. They had a direct line to God. God had showed them something that nobody else had heard before. Boy, 2,000 years later, their cults are still starting exactly the same way, aren't they? So they thought they had a special knowledge. And you know what? You know that when they come up with special knowledge, it's always amazing how it never agrees with the word of God. Somehow God was wrong when he wrote it the first time. God's never wrong, amen? And these who come up with a special word from God, if they got a word from anybody, we know it wasn't from God, amen? And so they have this special word, and, and they've been you know, out promoting this false gospel. And so he's going to address these Gnostics. The first half of the book, we're going to see the conditions for fellowship, and then we're going to see the characteristics of fellowship. The theme of this book is fellowship. It's talking not about just how to have fellowship with God, which is first and foremost, but also how to have fellowship with one another. The word fellowship means to have in common. And guys, we need to have Jesus in common, and we're not going to have any kind of fellowship, amen? But before they could have fellowship with Almighty God, they needed to have the Son in common. And so the theme of this book, we're going to see it throughout as we read it in a little bit. It's just all about getting back into fellowship, having that relationship, that intimate relationship with the Lord. So it's about fellowship with God and the assurance that we have through an abiding relationship with the Lord. And we'll see it manifested, we'll talk about this as we go through it, in a holy life. Guys, how do you know someone's walking with God? It changes their behavior. We're going to see the Gnostics got this word that somehow you could proclaim to be a Christian on Sunday and live like the devil the rest of the week, and that was just fine. Someone's still teaching that today. Amen? Too many today think, hey, I can live, I can just go and praise the Lord on Sunday, and it really doesn't matter how I live the rest of the week, because all of, as we'll see, flesh is evil anyway, and it doesn't really matter. He's going to refute the false teaching of these Gnostics by, they, one of the things that they said was that Jesus didn't really come in human flesh. Jesus didn't really come to earth in human flesh. Boy, that sounds familiar as well. There are cults today that will tell you, well, he was really just his spirit when he came. You know, if you walked in the sand next to Jesus, you would look back and see your footprints, but his wouldn't be there because he was just a phantom. He's going to refute that. It's nonsense. It's also going to talk about the emptiness that lies when people profess to know Christ, but it has no change on their life. So go ahead, if it's not up there yet, go ahead and put the uh, slide up. So the theme is fellowship. And we're going to see the pastor's heart for his children in the faith, And again, there's four resulting fruits of intimate fellowship with God. And he's going to give those, we're going to talk about those again this morning. And these are the reasons why he taught this letter, why he wrote this letter. First of all, fellowship or intimate fellowship with God produces a life of happiness, a life of real joy. You know, the world's looking for happiness today. Guys, can I tell you, the promotion will not make you happy. If it does, it's temporary. Happiness is temporary, joy is eternal. The happiness that comes from knowing God has nothing to do with our circumstances, amen? If you're only happy based on your circumstances, you're not going to be happy very often, amen? Something could always be better, isn't that true? They asked Rockefeller, how much money did you have to have before you were happy? He said, a little bit more. You know, it wasn't 10 million, 50 million, 100 million, a little bit more. Our flesh is never satisfied. But you know what? Intimate fellowship with God produces true happiness. It also protects holiness. 
Guys, when we're walking with the Lord, there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit upon us that keeps us from sin. Now, it doesn't mean we're sinless, but when we do sin, there's a conviction that is immediate. Amen? The more you grow in your relationship with God, the more evident it's going to be in the conviction of the Holy Spirit to walk holy. It also prevents heresy. It keeps us from buying the lie. It keeps us from when we hear something that's not true, we recognize it. If we're fellowshipping with Almighty God and someone tells us a lie about Him, we're going to recognize that it's a lie. You know, when you know somebody that well and someone says something about Him that not, it isn't true, you say, oh, that's just outside of His character. You know, I have friends on this planet that people have lied to me about them and I know it's not true because I know their character. Oh, that's a lie. I know the person you're talking about. There's no way that's true. But here's the thing, guys. God's always perfect. And his, his character cannot be challenged. So intimate fellowship prevents heresy. And also, finally, it provides hope. Guys, we're going to heaven. Amen? I'll tell you what. Heaven gets more dear to me every day. More and more of my family and friends and people I love and care about are already there. But more importantly, our Savior's there. Amen? And we can't wait to see Him. And so this encouragement, this message we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks, it produces happiness, this intimate fellowship, it protects holiness, it prevents heresy, and it provides hope. And we're also going to see that there are three things that you can use as a spiritual barometer that in the first two chapters to kind of check out your own life and see how you're doing in fellowship with God. And the three things are, number one, am I keeping short accounts with God? It says there in verse 9 of chapter 1, have your Bible open, we're still going to read it, even though we're not going through it verse by verse this morning. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession at salvation, but do we continue to confess our sin after salvation? What's the answer? Yes. There's some out there that say, oh, you're not supposed to do that anymore. Really? When, they, when the apostles asked Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. What does he say? What's one of the lines? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This was not the prayer of salvation. This was the prayer of a believer who already knew God. Guys, we need to have a heart of confession. And as I said before, as we're walking with the Lord, a spiritual barometer of our fellowship with God is the amount of time between when we sin and when we confess. That ought to be getting shorter and shorter, amen? The more you walk with God, there ought to be a greater conviction. Number two, am I walking in obedience in light of God's word? Is God's word the standard for your life? Hopefully, amen? Here's the point. Too often today, we live based on our feelings and we want God to condone it. Can I just share my heart with you? What do you you got to say no? What are you going to do? I'm up here. <laughs> but you know, the events of this past week, just because it's fresh, you know, the militancy of people who didn't get their way on Proposition 8 is scary. I mean, the anger and the bitterness and the attitude, and you know what? We need to pray for them and love them, amen? Because Jesus loves them and so should we. But what's amazing is how when, you know, the word of God is not the standard, then people's feelings becomes the standard. Well, I feel, well, I believe. Guys, what you feel and what you believe is irrelevant. It's the word of God that's the standard. Do our feelings lie to us? What's the answer? All day long. Too often we start off, but I feel, so what? 
Well, Pastor Dave, that's not very caring and loving and nurturing. That's not very nice. Don't you care about my feelings? Not really. (laughs) Not if the word of God is not the standard in your life, amen? Because when we make our feelings the standard, you know what we've done? We've told God that he's not God. He's not on the throne. And my feelings circumvent the word of God. And guys, that's idolatry. I don't know why I read those, those uh, opinion things in the Sentinel. I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> but I'm reading, and I'm just, you know, my blood is boiling. I have to confess. Lord, forgive me, it's my flesh. But, but it says things like, how can we deny them their God-given right to marry? I'm like, God-given right? What God are you talking about? Do you know last night they had a prayer visual? Downtown. They were praying. I'm like, who are you praying to? Guys, I'm not making light of it. The Lord loves them and so do we. We need to see them saved. But when there's no word of God, there's no standard for right and wrong, and we're back to moral relativism, and if it feels good, do it. And that's exactly what was being thrust upon the people at this time. Everybody was kind of coming their own way to God, and John's writing this letter to remind them there's a standard. There's a standard. The word of God is the standard. The word of God is the authority in your life. It's not what the world does, it's what the word says. Amen? And we need to get back to that. And then finally, am I demonstrating love for the brethren? You know, we need to be doing that. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. My prayer is that anybody who walks in these doors ought to be so loved it's sickening. Amen? Just love on people. They need to see, you know what, guys? How are they going to know that there's a God of love if they don't see the love of God in us? And so while we, we stand up for truth and people think it's hatred, the truth is that the greatest thing we can do is love people enough to proclaim the truth even when they don't want to hear it. But never do it with an arrogant attitude. Never do it in a way that will bring harm to the cause of Christ. So John is writing this letter to clear some of the, these, the very things that I've just been talking about. He's going to address the false doctrine that's crept into the church. They've been misrepresenting the Lord and who he is. They've been misrepresenting Christianity. It's some 60 years after the Again, the crucifixion, some time has gone by, persecution's been heating up, people are falling away, and in the midst of that, here comes this you know, glass of water, this glass of refreshment, this letter, this word of encouragement. Now, John, let me talk about him again for a moment, and then we'll start looking at the, the breakdown itself. John was believed to be the youngest of all the disciples by most. He was probably, when he was walking with Jesus, a teenager. Maybe you didn't know that. And he was one of the sons of thunder. Remember that? James and John. And that wasn't always good. They were pretty impetuous guys. But John has been walking with the Lord when he writes this letter longer than any person living on the planet. It's quite possible by the time he writes this, the many of the other apostles have already been martyred. He's now an old man, some 60 years later, has seen and heard firsthand all the false doctrine being taught by so many, and it's clear contradiction to the truth, and no doubt, like me reading the opinion pages, his blood's boiling a little bit. You hear somebody saying something about our Savior that isn't true. Doesn't that stir you up? But Lord, help us not respond in the flesh, amen? Respond in love. But it does stir us up. But sadder still, not only did he hear it being taught, but now people were following it. 
So a lie is being taught, people are following it, and John sits down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pen in hand, and writes this letter to dispel the myths of these false teachers, addressing with real clarity. Guys, this is one of the clearest letters in Scripture written in such a simple way that speaks to deep truth. It takes some of the deepest truths, the deepest doctrine, and spells it out in a way that a six-year-old could understand it. It's a great letter. And of course, God is the one who wrote it. You know what? He'd walk with the Lord a long time, John. And as long or longer than any man alive, as I said, and he's the one who is going to cut through all the complexity and really just go down to what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. And if anybody knew what it was like, it was him. And you know what he does? He doesn't major on the minors. He just hits the truth. And guys, I'm not saying everything in the Word of God is important, amen? Everything. But sometimes we can be bickering over a secondary issue where people are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. We must not get so caught up in a secondary issue that we miss out on the primary one. Over time, as we mature, the most important things rise to the surface. And as you read through this letter, written again, To combat false doctrine, it became apparent that John, filled with the Holy Spirit, this pillar of faith, part of Jesus' inner circle. Remember that Jesus had three people he took with him on special occasions. You guys remember that? He had the crowd, he had the 70, he had the 12, and then he had the three. Who went up to Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. John saw Jesus in his glorified body. You know what else about John? There was one apostle at the crucifixion. Who was it? John. He was sitting at the foot of the cross or standing nearby. We know because Jesus spoke to him from the cross. Peter's denying the Lord, running away. John is standing right there. We know that the night before he was crucified, it says that John was sitting next to him and was laying his head on Jesus' chest. How awesome would that be? Amen? He's resting his head upon the Lord. And every time he refers to himself, most of the time, I shouldn't say every time, most of the time, when he refers to himself in the Gospels, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. And a lot of times people think that he's being arrogant or something. Oh yeah, Jesus loves me. No, I don't think that's the case at all. It's, whoa, Jesus loves me. That's John's heart. This is the heart of the man writing this letter. One who's had intimate fellowship with the Lord. Remember that when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say to John? He said, John... Behold your mother. He told John, take care of my earthly mom. She's not the mother of God in the sense that some would say today, amen. But she was a woman blessed by God, used mightily by God. And Jesus, of course, has a love for her and turns to John. And we know that John took Mary to live in his own house after that. This guy loves the Lord, amen. This guy has intimate fellowship with him. Maybe like almost no other man. When Jesus rose from the dead, two of the apostles ran to go and look into the tomb. Who was one of those apostles? It was Peter and? And John makes sure you know that he outran Peter. Read the text. It's in there. John says, and of course I blew by him and got there first. But that does say that. So John, you know, I mean, we've got a little flesh in all of us, right? But John got there first, and we know that he also, of course, was there at in the upper room when Jesus appears again. 
And he saw him in the flesh. And then later, he walked with him during that time, those 40 days after the crucifixion that Jesus walked upon, after the resurrection, as he walked upon the earth. And he was there when he ascended back into heaven. This man loved Jesus with his whole heart. He was willing to die. It's tradition uh, uh, says that he was actually boiled in oil, trying to kill him, but he didn't die. And so... He ends up going out to the island of Patmos where he writes the book of Revelation that we'll be looking at in a few months. But this is John. And so when he hears words that are lies about Jesus, the one he walked with, the one whose head he put his, you know, upon his chest, the one who had seen him risen, the one who saw him ascending into heaven, the one who he saw transfigured in a powerful way, the one he walked with and ate with and saw him perform miracles, and he is stirred up in his soul as the Holy Spirit speaks through him, and he sits down and he writes this letter to say, everything they're saying about Jesus is a lie. Let me tell you the truth. So that's where we are in the text. The son of thunder Now this man of great humility, this man who's witnessed so much about Jesus Christ, and now hearing lies being taught about his Savior. There are three words that you'll see repeated, and we're going to read through this in a little bit. You're going to see these three words repeated. He's going to talk about the deity of Christ. He's going to talk about walking in obedience. And he's going to talk about love. And as you read through this, this is why I love to read the whole, when I start a new book, I love to read through it. 20 times because as you read through it you start to get the context you start to get the feel of the entire book and you're just going to see love 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 and you're going to see if a man says he is a follower of the lord and then his actions will look like this if a man says he is 22 times in these five chapters it says if a man says then he will do if a man truly is then this is the response. If a man says and doesn't do it, he's not really of God. It's very clear. This letter is really a powerful picture of the love and grace and mercy of God, but it's also a picture of one standing for truth when lies are being told about our Savior. You know what, guys? We may think, wow, that's kind of, you know, sit back and let me put myself in their shoes. I don't think it's that hard to do that. Amen? I think we're living in the same shoes today. Our Savior is lied about all the time. Amen? His name is used more, I'm convinced, as a cuss word than a source of worship. And we need revival in this country, and we need to get back to putting Jesus Christ on the throne. And you know what? We should not be surprised when those who don't know God act like they don't know God, but those within the body of Christ may it never be said of us. Amen? And this is what is happening. This false teaching is not coming from, you know, the Buddhist down the street or the, you know, the false, you know, the idol-worshiping pagan down the street. It's coming from those who are proclaiming to be Christians. So he's writing this letter to the church, and he's going to be taking what they're teaching and put the Word of God up as a mirror to reveal that indeed it is a lie. 1 John reads more like a sermon. You're going to notice, we're going to start in it, and you're going to notice there's no greeting or anything. He doesn't say, hey, this is John, hey. He just starts. Here it comes, boom. I had a long introduction, he has none. He just, here it is, get ready. And I almost feel like, again, he's writing with such a sense of urgency. 
The people are sitting there. They're in a place of almost dismay. All the stuff's going on around them. Persecution from the outside. False teachers from the inside. Some of the things people are saying might be bringing confusion to some of the believers. And in the middle of all that, this letter gets delivered. What a word of encouragement. And no doubt many of us need to hear it this morning. This is a call for Christians. Not only is he going to talk about who Jesus is, but it's going to be an exhortation for us to, to walk in obedience and again to be people who are known for the love that we have for him. So these Gnostics, they're in a position of bringing confusion within the church. They're puffed up in their knowledge. They think that they've got the answers. And of course, their answers are contrary to the word of God. They thought they were in the know. So let me tell you a couple of things they believed about Jesus. So when we start reading the, the text, you're going to say, oh, now I understand why that's there. First of all, they had one belief that Jesus never came in the flesh, as I said before. Why did they believe that? Because they believed that all matter was evil. So Jesus being God couldn't have been evil. So if matter's evil, then Jesus never could have come in human flesh. And so he never really did. And he was just a phantom on the earth. And again, you would never see his footprints in the, st- in the sand. Well, look what it says there in verse 1 of John, 1 John 1. It says, that which was from the beginning. From the beginning. In the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Before the heavens and the earth were created was the beginning. Amen? And guess what? God always has been and always will be. And yet, they act like he's a created being. But notice what they say. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Why does he say that? Because it was being taught that Jesus was a spirit and nobody could have touched him. Can you imagine telling that to John? Dude, I had my head on his chest. I wasn't laying on a phantom, man. Amen? I wasn't laying on a spirit. It wasn't air. He was there. And you know what? He appeared after the resurrection, and we saw the the nail prints in his hands, and we touched him, and we handled him. But guys, people will get up and say with great assurance something that is in direct contradiction to the word of God. And they do it all the time. Most often because they're ignorant of the word. It says in 1 John chapter 4, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. That's pretty direct. He says if they reject and say Jesus didn't come in the flesh, they are of the spirit of the Antichrist. So anybody today that says that Jesus didn't come in the human flesh, didn't raise from the dead in in the flesh, they are of the spirit of the Antichrist. He's refuting Gnostic teaching. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus came not only by water, but by water and blood. This speaks of his physical birth. Guys, we're going to read through this whole thing, and you're going to see these things. And I'm telling you all this so that when you read it, you're going to understand what he's addressing. He's rejecting this entire thought process that all matter is evil, and thus Jesus did not come in the flesh but only in the spirit. The second false teaching of the Gnostics was that Jesus was not deity. They said that he was just a man, and then at the baptism, 
as he started his public ministry, the spirit of the Christ came upon him, and he became Christ for those three years. And then right before he went to the cross, the spirit of the Christ of Christ was taken off of him, and only Jesus went to Calvary, but Christ didn't. What a bunch of noise. But you know what? They were teaching that with authority. And can you imagine some of these early Christians going, really? I, I never heard that. Oh, we have special knowledge. God speaks to us. We have a word for you. You know, today I get people knocking on my door telling me that. Trying to get me to buy the watchtower. We have a special word from God. We have a word. We hear from Him. We're the ones He speaks to. Then how come everything you're telling me directly contradicts the word He's already given us? Amen? So, Pastor Dave, why do you got to be naming names? I got to name names like that. That's not nice. Guys, I want you to know so that when they knock on your door, pray for them. And can I tell you what I love to do? The next thing we're going to talk about that he encourages us with is that we have hope of heaven. Amen? Do you know that everyone else is hoping they get to heaven, but we know for sure that we're going? And when you talk to them, they will tell you, I'll ask them. They'll say, well, we got this special knowledge, and we got this thing, and here's our booklet, and here's our thing. And I'll, you know what I'll tell them? Guess what? The Word of God says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Guess what? I'm a whosoever. And I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and guess what? I'm going to heaven. What do you got that's better than that? I've got the promise of heaven. I don't have to earn it. It's not how many doors I knock on. I don't score brownie points with God. I'm going. And you know what? You can know for sure too. Amen? They're trying to earn their way. Aren't you glad we're not trying to earn it? We'd all fall short, wouldn't we? It'd be game over. I'll forget it. We're not going to make it. But I'm so glad we're saved by grace, not of works. Amen? Praise God for his grace. This nonsense is taught, but people shout it loud enough and people begin to believe it. So now there's two camps within these Gnostics. And let me just say this. I'm telling you all this because I promise you, as we read through, you've got to go, oh, I get it. I understand it. Context, right? I understand why he's saying this. There are two different things. Because they believed that all matter was evil, some of the Gnostics said, well, my own body is so evil, I'm going to torture myself. Have you ever seen this on TV? You'll see some tribe somewhere and they're sticking needles through their face and they're, what are you doing? People harming themselves? You know what? That's Gnostic theology. They believed that their, their bodies were evil, only the spirit was good, and since their bodies and, the, and all matter was evil, they would torture themselves. They would walk around wearing sackcloth and they wouldn't eat very much and they'd be skinny and dwindling away and they would often take and whip and beat themselves. Yeah, that's the life and life more abundant that Jesus was talking about, isn't it? God doesn't want us to torture ourselves for him. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen? We don't get striped for him. He was striped for us. Amen? And he came that we might have life, and life more abundant. But sadly, can you imagine the confusion on the faces and the hearts of these new Christians as they saw some walking, well, maybe they're really more spiritual. Look at them, they're beating themselves up, and they won't eat anything, and they walk around in sackcloth and ashes. They're so legalistic, it must be God. Guys, God has not called us to legalism, but freedom in Christ. 
Amen? He didn't call us that we might be bound and walking around, you know, clamped down and, you know, carrying around a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe and, you know, hitting ourselves in the face with a board every three steps when I get to go to heaven when it's over. That's not the God we serve, amen? We don't crawl on our knees on glass to Mecca to prove we love God. Praise God, he reached down to heaven and proved his love for us. We simply respond by faith, amen? So the Gnostics, there were those who would harm themselves. Well, then you have the opposite extreme, and here's what they did. They said, well, since all matter is evil anyway, and since my spirit, and they don't mean the Holy Spirit, my thoughts and my intents are good, man is inherently good. That's a lie from the devil too, isn't it? Don't you hear that today? Well, man, I, I trust in the heart of man. I don't at all. That's why we have police. Amen? Men are not inherently good. Men are inherently wicked. Does it look around? Does this look like an inherently good planet to you? And how do you think it's going to be after he raptures the church and the Holy Spirit's not here anymore? Game over. Guys, here's the point. They believed that because they thought their spirit was good and their body was evil, that, well, my body's evil, I can't change anything about it, so I might as well live like a perverse and wicked person all week long because God knows my heart deep down. There's nothing new under the sun. You can talk to somebody who's living a life so far away from God, but they'll go, but God knows my heart. And you know what? He sees your actions. Amen? Our heart is reflected in our behavior. Out of the overflowing of man's heart, his mouth speaks. And we can also say that belief is revealed in behavior. Guys, we're not perfect. Some of you are sitting here this morning and go, oh no. My behavior's not always that good. Guess what? Neither is mine. Praise God for grace, amen? But the difference is this. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Certainly not, it says in Romans. We don't live a life where we just go, you know, totally giving ourselves over to the lust of the flesh. Instead, when we sin, we're grieved and broken before God. Guys, we should be the same people Monday through Saturday that we are on Sunday morning. Amen? And again, 1 John, more than 20 times in the text, he says, if a man says, if a man says, but then does the opposite, he's only kidding himself. 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did I tell you he's pretty direct? Did I tell you it's very simple? You know, well, I wonder what that means. There's no questions here. Chapter 2, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Oh, I, you know those Gnostic guys? I think they're lying. You know, they got this letter. You know, they say one thing and live another. Liars! Because that's what the Word of God says. True Christianity knows nothing of this double life, saying we believe one thing but living another. Again, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible tells us those who are truly saved will bear fruits of salvation. And what I truly believe is revealed in my actions. Praise God that he's a God who not, not only saves us, but transforms us from the inside out. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I think different. I live different. I speak different. My priorities are different. My passions are different. Again, I'm not perfect. I'm saved by grace, but I'm certainly different than the one person I was before. And where I ran to sin, I now flee from it. These Gnostics were teaching such a lie. 
And they were trying to draw people away from the truth. So the emphasis of this letter is the deity of Christ, to walk in obedience, and as we're going to see, the love of God. And again, he gave us four resulting fruits of intimate fellowship. Number one, it produces happiness. See it up on the screen. It says in, one, in chapter 1, verse 4, And these things I write to you that your joy may be full. Again, he's combating this life of self, self-torture, and instead our life should be filled with joy. It also protects holiness, having intimate fellowship with God. It says in chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Gnosticism brought men into the bondage of sin. True Christianity brings freedom from it. The world today is bound in sin. Freedom can be found only in Christ. Third, it prevents heresy. Chapter 2, verse 26 says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. It's written to protect us from the deception of false teachers. And then finally, before we read the text, it provides hope. Chapter 5 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He writes this letter as an assurance of their salvation. When they were looking at the Gnostics beating themselves, they might have thought, am I being holy enough? When they looked at others who were making proclamations about living like the world, well, maybe I have more freedom to live that way. And this letter comes and gives the true hope and the true assurance of eternal eternal salvation and its faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ, him risen from the dead. The cults today claim to have that same truth, but the truth is that we have the truth in Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. Amen? It may not be long before that's against the law to say what I just said. And if it's against the law, we'll be starting the jail ministry at, down in Santa Cruz. Amen? At some point, we've got to stand for truth and do it in love. So, let me set the scene and we're going to read the, chat. We're going to read the entire book. So here we are. There's outward persecution. There's false teaching. People who claim to be Christians, claim to have special insight and knowledge, They're denying the deity of Christ. They reject his incarnation. They're putting their own spin on the crucifixion. They see no link between belief and behavior, proclaiming faith on Sunday and living like the world. They claim that man is inherently good. They have their own and private interpretation of Scripture that condones their ungodly behavior. They're puffed up with their own knowledge. Boy, it's not that hard to put ourselves in their shoes, is it? Because that sounds like the United States in 2008, doesn't it? So let's read the entire letter with its context in mind. Please have your Bible out. We're going to go through it. Make sure I'm reading the Bible, amen? All right. Notice again, no greeting. Here we go, right off the bat. The letter shows up, they open it up, and here it is. Okay, guys, surrounded by lies, false teachers, let me tell you the truth. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him, and declare to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this, we know that we know him if we have kept his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself, also himself ought to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is light and hates his brother, is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning." I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anything, anyone, to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, it is not a lie. And just as it is taught to you, you will abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. The world does not know us because it does not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has the hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He who manifested to take away our, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, And he cannot sin, speaking of habitual sin, because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is a message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was a wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love the world, love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure hearts before him. If our heart For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He, is, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit and the spirit of error. Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love has been perfected in us. By this we know we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as, as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has, not, has now not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot us also him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments." For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Has he said that enough times? This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and by blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For these three bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Right, Trinity, in your, right in your Bible there. And these three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water and the blood, these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has witness, witness in himself. He who does not believe 
God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have this, the, the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I did not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been, been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Is there any doubt who Jesus Christ is after you read that? Is there any question about, I wonder if the Gnostics are right? I wonder, was he really made manifest in the flesh? Maybe there's another way. Maybe I can confess. Boy, I love this letter, don't you? And so let me encourage you to come. Hopefully that's whet your appetite. Come back next week. We're going to start going verse by verse. We'll go through the entire first chapter next week. Powerful stuff in there. And you know what, guys? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I pray that simply in hearing the word of God this morning, your faith would be increased and you would come to trust in Jesus Christ even more. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have given us your word. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be wondering when someone comes up with a new revelation if it's true or not. If somebody knocks on our door and has a different message, we need not be stumbled. Lord, I thank you for this letter we're going to be studying for the next few months. And Lord, just what a great picture. What great words of encouragement. What a clear exhortation that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we do pray for those who do not know you. May, they, may you open their eyes to the truth. But Lord, may we not waver in the truth. Lord, help us to live every day in light of eternity. We have the hope of heaven, and we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, I pray that your word would go out with power. Lord, I pray for divine appointments this week. I pray, Lord, that we would realize that, Lord, it's the love of God manifest in us and through us that impacts the world around us. That we, too, would have a heart to walk in faithful obedience to your word. That we, too, would openly and boldly proclaim the deity of your Son. Lord, that we would not compromise your word. That we would not be moved by our feelings. But, Lord, we would stand firm on the rock. Our Savior, our God, our King, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Let's stand and close the worship song.